Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. And welcome to Israel and You. And we are experiencing the high holy days of the biblical feasts of the Jewish people. And uh, we've gone through Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And the next feast will be Tabernacles. And so on the program today, I want to I talk to you about Yom Kippur, which is known as the Day of Atonement. And I want to help explain it to you and the principle of forgiveness. And then towards the end, I'm going to show you how uh, marriage and Yom Kippur uh, can be explained. So Yom Kippur is known as the Sabbath of Sabbath in Judaism. Yom Kippur is the holiest day of the year. It is a day of fasting and repentance between the biblical feast of Rosh Hashanah, New Year's Day on the Jewish calendar, and Yom Kippur. There are 10 days known as the 10 days of repentance or the awesome days. These are 10 days in which Jewish people the world over spend time in reflection and search their their hearts concerning uh, sins they've committed toward God and towards others in the past year and seek to be reconciled to God and their neighbors. And during the afternoon of New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, Jews around the world assemble at rivers, brooks, and oceans to cast their transgressions into the water. And the tradition is known as Tashika in Hebrew, and it comes from the prophet Micah 7, verse 19. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. So Yom Kippur completes the 10 days of awe, which begin at Rosh Hashanah. And on the great day of atonement, a person who is not first sought to be reconciled with their neighbor is not prepared to seek divine mercy from God. In Judaism, it is taught that it is necessary to forgive one another on a personal level to approach God without a bitter heart. Mercy from above depends on showing mercy to those on earth below. And according to Judaism, the days of atonement, Yom Kippur, does not cover sin between one person and his neighbor unless Unless the sin has been appeased by the offender or forgiven by the victim. The book of Jewish oral law known as the Mishnah states this, Sins between one man and his friend, Yom Kippur does not atone for until one appeases his friend. In other words, each of us is responsible to forgive the one who has hurt us or ask forgiveness from the one we have hurt. And so this really comes from the Jewish concept of the imitation of God. And Judaism teaches that each of us has an obligation to imitate the righteousness of God in not just our beliefs, but in our actions to the best of our ability. Deuteronomy 10.12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways. So regarding forgiving one who has offended you, uh, the imitation of God depends that 
uh, genuine mercy be granted by one person to another in the same way God himself gives grace to the offending sinner. Rabbi Gamaliel Baribi once said, he who is merciful to others will have mercy shown to him by heaven. He who is not merciful to others will not have mercy shown to him by heaven. So you may be thinking, well, you know, this is a Jewish thing. Uh, these feasts, Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement, is just a, a Jewish thing. Uh, we as Christians, you know, we've, we've come through the grace and mercy of the new covenant. So we're not obligated to go to our neighbors and ask forgiveness before we go to the throne room of God and ask forgiveness. Well, let's look at Peter's question. It's in Matthew 18, verse 21. And Peter asks Jesus a question, and then Jesus tells the the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so here's Peter's question. Lord, this is Matthew 18, 21. How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. The answer Jesus gives to him is stunning. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, you should never stop forgiving someone no matter how many times they sin against you. Jesus explains his answer by telling the parable of the unmerciful servant, Matthew 18, 23 through 34, and ends the parable, which is a, a parable that does not end well for the unmerciful servant because his master turns him over to the torturers. And Jesus ends the parable with these words. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's Matthew 18, 35. So Jesus is pretty hard line when it comes to the principle of forgiveness. And you may say, well, that's just a Jewish thing. But Jesus is a, a Jewish theologian. He's a Jewish rabbi. And interestingly, Bible scholars agree that Peter's question and Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant took place during, get this, the 10 days of awe that led up to Yom Kippur. So they're in this 10 days uh, as Jewish fishermen, and they're, they're reflecting on, hey, have I offended anyone? Am I at peace with everyone? So Peter asked the question, and it's during the 10 days of awe leading up to Yom Kippur. So Jesus taught that our relationship with others is a prerequisite for approaching God. Human forgiveness is crucial for divine mercy. Jesus made this plain all through his teaching. If you are not convinced, Jesus followed the principle of forgiving others found in the biblical Jewish feasts of Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days of awe and Yom Kippur. Here's just a few statements from the Jewish rabbi Jesus. Matthew 5, 7, you all know this. Blessed are the merciful for what? They will receive mercy. What's the principle? If you're merciful to others in forgiving them and walking with them in peace, then God will be merciful to you. Then in Matthew 6, 12 through uh, verse 14 through 15, and forgive us our sins, this is in the Lord's Prayer, as we forgive those who sin against us. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And then another one in Matthew five twenty three through 24. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there, Jesus said, before the altar 
altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So in Jesus' teaching, he's saying that we not only need to be in right fellowship and relationship with God, we are called as Christians to be in right relationship and fellowship with those we're walking with on this earth. So as we are now in the season of the Jewish biblical feasts of Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Tabernacles, as we're in this beautiful season in the Jewish calendar, may we show mercy towards those who have offended us and seek mercy from those we have offended. Someone once said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Another person said, forgiveness is the fragrance the rose sheds on the heel that crushes it. So during this time, I would really, really encourage you, uh, and I've done this the last few weeks, I've reflected on my life, are there any people that I've offended this year that, you know, maybe I've, I've hurt? And so I've had to go to s- certain people and say, listen, you know, if I've done something to offend you. Please forgive me. And it's a beautiful thing when, when you're uh, a person of faith and know that the Lord Jesus requires all of us to live in harmony with, with those below on this earth so that we can be in right relationship with God in heaven. And then maybe there's a person that you haven't forgiven. Maybe uh, someone that's deeply hurt you, offended you, betrayed you. Uh, I would encourage you to uh, release that person from uh, the unforgiveness. Read the parable of the unmerciful servant in, in Matthew 18. And that unmerciful servant was forgiven a great debt, which is a picture of our salvation. We've been forgiven a great debt we could not pay. But instead of, of walking in the joy of just being freed from debt, he went to his servant who owed him just a, a meager one-day wage and he choked him and say, said, pay me what you owe me. And when the unmerciful servant's master, who had forgiven him of a, a debt he could not pay, found out about it, he said, take that unmerciful servant and turn him over to the torturers. And so what happens when, when you live in unforgiveness towards other people, it, it's not just the person you are not forgiving that's hurt. It's you yourself. You're tortured on the inside. It's why so many people grow cancers and tumors and uh, have you know mental issues because the torture of unforgiveness fills their mind and their soul, brings in bitterness. The Bible talks about uh, a bitter root that grows within your soul. And so this is a time in the, the Jewish calendar where Jewish people the world over, they, they go to people that they have unforgiveness towards, they go to people that have hurt them, they go to people that they themselves have hurt, and they reconcile before they come to the altar of God uh, on the day of atonement and seek his mercy, they show mercy to others. So let me pray with you real quick before we we go on to the next section of this talk about Yom Kippur. Lord, I, I pray for the listening audience today. If there's a person there that's holding bitter resentment towards someone that's betrayed them, betrayal is a very difficult thing uh, to overcome. But Lord, by your grace, we can overcome the, the terror and the pain of being betrayed. So I pray for my friend today, Lord, that may be struggling with unforgiveness towards a family member, 
towards a friend who perhaps betrayed them. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, right now, by your mercy and your grace, Lord, give them the, the grace, I pray, to release the person from unforgiveness so that they might walk in right relationship with you, uh, Father God. We ask this in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus, who said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. All right, so that's a beautiful principle that, that takes place in the 10 days of awe, right before Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, those 10 days, uh, Jewish people, uh, according to Jewish practice, according to God's word, they, uh, they ask forgiveness. They walk in reconciliation with those around them. So I want to talk a little about how to understand Yom Kippur. And I think that uh, the, the issue of marriage, the picture of marriage might help us understand uh, the issue of the Day of Atonement. Let me ask you a question. Uh, I've been married for a long time. And is belief in marriage a key to marital bliss? Uh, I believe in marriage. I, I have a marriage license. I went on a honeymoon. Uh, I believe that my wife, Sharon, is the best person in my life. She's the love of my life. We met in college, and uh, it was love at first sight. I believe that she's the mother to my four children. I believe that when she walked down the aisle and became my wife and has been my wife now these many years, I believe that she's been faithful to me. I believe she's devoted to me. I believe she loves me. Uh, I believe in the covenant. We even have the cassette tape of our wedding ceremony. And uh, you, that kind of dates how long we've been married because they don't even use cassette tapes anymore. But sometimes we pull that out. In our old Suburban, we still have a cassette player in the Suburban. So I play it sometimes for my kids and my grandkids. And the thing is so worn, our voices are in this high-pitched um, you know, level. And uh, so I, I believe that uh, we were married. I, I believe the, the vows that we recited to one another. Uh, Ruth 116, uh, my wife had that inscribed in my wedding ring. I had that inscribed in a, a locket I gave her at our engagement. Ruth 116 says, Whither thou goest, I will go. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. So do these beliefs make my marriage a fulfilled one? Are they key to my soul's happiness, my belief in marriage? And I'll answer that question when we come back after the break to uh, talk again about Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And we'll see you on the other side of the break. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, and I'm honored to serve as president of Israel Team Advocates International. Israel Team is a unique nonprofit organization that is changing the growing narrative within the Christian world that the Jewish people are illegally occupying the land of Israel. The truth is that God, the God of the Bible, identifies himself as the God of Israel, and Jerusalem is his footstool. God has given this land to the Jewish people as an eternal possession. Within the evangelical community's millennial generation and Generation Z, there is an alarming decline of support for Israel. 
Israel. Presently, about 70% of young evangelicals are unsure of Israel's right of their very existence. If this trend continues, we are going to see a majority anti-Israel evangelical movement within 10 years. Imagine future Christian leaders in America calling for the removal of Jews from the Holy Land. Israel team cares deeply about the future of American Christianity and is investing in the young Christian leaders of tomorrow. We work on Christian college campuses and church youth and college groups to make a difference for Israel and the church as well. We mentor pastors and church leaders and counteract the growing trend of replacement theology being proclaimed from churches across America. I'm asking you today to help us in this noble cause. We can change the current trend of anti-Israelism, one church and one college campus at a time. You can go to our website at israelteam.org to donate today and stand with us today. We ask you that you consider giving to Israel Team on a monthly basis. In the present exponential rise of anti-Semitism in America, our efforts must double to push back against this darkness. For your gift this month to Israel Team, we want to send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt, The Alarming Rise of Anti- anti-Semitism and what can be done to stop it. Go to israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. Welcome back to Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel in You. We're talking about the biblical Jewish feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And I ask a question right before the break. Does believing in my marriage covenant that I made with Sharon Lo, these many years ago, does that make my marriage fulfilled? And the answer is no. Believing all these things does not bring fulfillment or happiness to my marriage. Belief in the covenant of marriage will get people down the aisle in a marriage ceremony, but doesn't keep them there. And for those who remain married, a lot of people are not happy in their marriage. What will bring happiness to my marriage is not just believing in the marriage covenant, but keeping the marriage covenant to love and cherish Sharon, to honor and respect uh, her, to lay down my life for her, to nurture and protect, to pray for her, to speak tenderly to her, to cherish her as a priceless vessel. You see, I can believe in the covenant of marriage all day long. And if you want to know if I really believe it, uh, someone once said, if you want to know if a husband's fulfilling the marriage covenant, look at his wife. If she has a joyful countenance, if she's peaceful, if she's filled with happiness, you know that he's keeping his covenant. You know that my beliefs have been put into practice if my wife is fulfilled. By keeping and doing the covenant I verbally made on our wedding day. I've never stopped believing in marriage, but the first 10 years were really rocky because I had issues. Issues, man. I brought baggage into our marriage. I was a verbal abuser. I was demeaning and I was mean-spirited. And God had to change me and get a hold of my life. But our marriage was unhappy and both of our souls were ripped apart and we were not becoming one. And the goal of marriage is a man will leave his father and mother and the two shall become one flesh. It's called at one I'm at one with my wife. And think of the word, uh, the day of atonement. It is at one So for the Christian, the covenant of marriage 
is an earthly picture of a heavenly reality. It's a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. He's the bridegroom. The church is the bride. Paul talks about a beautiful metaphor, a picture of marriage in Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So what's going to bring happiness to my soul in my relationship with my wife is that if I keep the covenant that I made with her, if she keeps the covenant that she made with me. And so in the same way, what's going to bring relation, what's going to bring happiness relationship with God? Is it belief only? And the answer is no. I, I can recite the Apostles' Creed all day long. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creative, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, and so on. I can believe in the Apostles' Creed. Then tell me, if I just believe in Jesus, why are there so many unhappy Christians? Why are so many believers in Jesus on antidepressants and become alcoholics? Jesus said, I've come that your joy might be full. So something is drastically missing in our souls. And it's just like in marriage. The problem is not in belief in the covenant of marriage. The problem is in not becoming at one, at one The problem is not keeping the covenant of marriage. And could it be the same with God? He's wanting to take us to take on his character and become like him. I, I talked in the first part of the program on the principle of imitating God. Be holy because I am holy. And so when I walk in his holiness as he is holy, I become one with him at one minute. So we have all these beliefs, but there is an empty gnawing at so many soul, so many souls of believers because the gospel was written from a Jewish perspective. And in the culture of the day, there was a large influence of the Hellenistic culture upon the world, of Plato and Aristotle. And our world today still largely is under a Hellenistic form of thinking and believing. And so belief or truth to Greek Hellenistic thinkers was scientific and rational. But in the Jewish mind, in the pages of the Bible, truth and belief is not scientific and rational, it is uh, not just religious, it's experiential. And the Hebrews believe that truth is not understood, it is experienced. And in our Western minds, faith is intellectual, we have creeds, we have doctrines, we have proof texts, we have 10 ways to have more faith, 12 steps to more success as a Christian. But in the scriptures, faith is not so much intellectual as it is personal and relational. It's a, not just a rationalization, it's about a relationship with God. And if you ask a person influenced by Hellenism to define God, they will focus on the being of God. He's omnipresent, he's omniscient. But if you uh, ask a, a Jewish person person in in Jesus day what did they think how did they define God and the way that Jesus defined God was with one word Abba which means father that's how he defined God father God in the Greek western mind the individual is the most important very humanistic uh, self-actualization you know, the gymnasium first you know established in Greece because they were into the physical body 
and the development of the mind. I remember when I was a kid, one of the favorite magazines in America was Life. But then it was People, and then it was Us. And then later on, it was the magazine Self. I'm waiting for a magazine that comes out that says the title of it is Me, because we're so self-focused. The Greeks focused on the individual. The Hebrews focused on the community. Remember Ananias and Sapphira when they they lied uh, in the New Testament church. Uh, The Bible says one lump works through the whole batch of dough. The the whole church was going to be judged because of the sin of an individual. And so in the Jewish mind, uh, they focused not just on the individual, but on the community. We don't want to do anything that would cause our brother to fall. And so in the Hebrew, there is not a word for heresy. Heresy is, in the Greek mind, is wrong thinking. It's intellectually being off-center from sound beliefs. But in the Hebrew mind, heresy is a, a, a word for disobedience. And so to be disobedient is actually to be a, a heretic. It's what you're doing that's wrong, not just what you're thinking that is wrong. And so when this comes down to Yom Kippur, uh, what I'm saying is on Yom Kippur, we need to be in right relationship with God. We need to be in one-ment with Him, at one-ment with God. And so it's just not a matter of belief it's a matter of doing. Am I fulfilling the commandments of God? Remember the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and said, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus knew that the young man was bound to his money. And he said, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And so in the, the Hellenistic Greek mind, life, eternal life is something way out there in the stratosphere. It's in the future in heaven. But in the Jewish mind, when I follow the commandments of God, I'm entering presently into his life, into the fullness of his joy. So Jesus said, if you want to enter life here in the present, keep the commandments. And the Bible says the young man went away sad. Why? Because he didn't want to follow Jesus. He, he didn't want to do what Jesus had commanded. We think if we can just get our beliefs in right alignment, we'll be happy. But this young man went away sad. Did he believe? Yes. Was he in harmony with God? No, because he wasn't willing to obey. Jesus said in 1 John uh, 3.24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. You see, I can love my wife all day long. I can intellectually understand that I love her. But if I really do love her, I will do the things that are pleasing to her. I will remain faithful. I'll be kind. I'll be considerate. We can intellectually say we believe in God all day long, but never really enter into joyful harmony with God. We never really be at one with God until we start doing his commandments. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? So in Jewish thought, faith is not an intellectual pursuit. It's an action. It's walking in obedience to the Lord. John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 21 says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
So for you and I to live at one with God, at harmony with God in these seasons of the high holy days, the biblical Jewish feasts of Israel, it's a time of reflection. Are there anyone in my life that I have unforgiveness towards, people that I've hurt? It's a time of reconciling with those below so that I can be in right relationship with him who reigns above. Jesus was that scapegoat that was taken outside of the city. His blood was shed that you and I might have forgiveness. So during these high holy days, it's a great, really a great time to say, Lord, are there any of your commandments that I'm rejecting? I want to be in right relationship. So I'm going to be praying for you that you'll be in right relationship at one with God during these days. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.